0: The Kaplan Community Podcast is a platform for the wider Kaplan community to share ideas and insights that can guide us on our professional and academic development.
1: It's easy to listen to, but tackles some hard-hitting issues. And we think it's a great way to appreciate diverse perspectives on life, learning, and careers. Ben Dunk is an
0: Australian cricketer who represented Australia in the T20s from 2014 to 2017. Ben has not only represented Australia, but also played in the BBL, the IPL and the PSL, and most recently for the Lahore Qualanders in the Pakistan Super League in 2021. Whilst playing cricket, Ben is also studying the MBA with Kaplan Business School and living in Tasmania. So how are you doing, Ben?
2: Well first of all, I just wanted to say thanks for having me and you know it's a pleasure to be on and hopefully everybody that's tuned in A enjoy enjoys the chat and B, you know, can take something out of it. So yeah, um I'm going really, really well. I just finished a lecture this morning on governance, ethics, and sustainability. So slowly working through that. But yeah, everything's going quite well.
0: How's it good, Ben? Governance and ethics actually is one of my more favorite subjects in the MBA. So I'm hoping you enjoy it as much as I do sincerely. So, Ben, starting off with thinking about your studies, the first question I've got is as a successful professional athlete, what are your
2: main reasons or goals for doing an MBA? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I think I've always had a bit of an interest in study, or certainly more of an interest in sort of I guess the broader world and the broader community outside of cricket itself or sport itself, although I'm an absolute sports nuffy and have spent hours and hours getting into the uh, Olympics in events, which, you know, I I, I have absolutely no idea of the rules, but B have so much awe for the athletes doing it. it, it's been incredible. But I guess my motivation in such is, you know, I'm a pretty competitive person and you know, I am certainly getting older and I'm I'm certainly closer to the end of my career than I am the start. So I've started to sort of think about, you know, what what is next for me and how I'm going to sort of attack that second in career, I guess you might want to call it, you know, in the same sort of zest as I attacked my first one as a as a professional cricketer. And I just thought, you know, I've completed a you know, diploma in business and a diploma in leadership and management as well, albeit very slowly. But I've completed those and I sort of just thought. You know, what, what will set me up, I guess, in the best possible light or what sort of qualification do I need to sort of, you know, really enter the workforce with a bang? And I thought the MBA would, would certainly do that for me.
1: I love that, to enter the workforce with a bang. And I think competitiveness is a, is a pretty unique but great reason to do an MBA. Now, everyone is faced by the work-life balance. We have work, study, and we can't forget about wellness. Being a professional athlete is a unique career and lifestyle with different demands involved. So how do you balance your work, study and well-being?
2: I honestly think this is the the million dollar question. I think for me personally, it's something that I've really, really struggled with throughout my professional cricket career. I've got quite tunnel vision in a sense. And when I set my mind to one thing, I I normally have really good or I would say great discipline. And in doing that one thing. However, as I'm doing now, I do have a little bit of a struggle in terms of balancing commitments. For example, at the moment, you know, I'm doing two subjects of study when I'm, I'm commencing my MBA. I've got a big block of cricket at the end of this year, sort of from November all the way through, more than likely until March. I'm doing some leadership and high performance consulting at a, um, a business down here in Tasmania. And probably most of all, not probably, most importantly, you know, I'm a husband and a father of two little kids under four. So in terms of balancing that work-life study, I'm, I'm certainly no expert in that field. I think one of the lessons I have learned along the way is though, and I, I sort of, I don't know whose quote it is, but it's sort of be where your feet are. And by that, I mean, you know, if I'm with the kids, if I'm with my kids, I, I try and, you know, put my phone away and be a hundred percent with my kids and be present in that moment and focused on what you're, you're trying to achieve. And it's similar. If I'm, you know, at cricket training, I try and focus in on, on my cricket training. I'm not worried about, or or not too concerned about the study that I'm doing in the afternoon and and no different to, you know, this morning when I'm, when I'm studying, you know, put the phone away, be a hundred percent present and then move on to the next task at hand. But yeah, it's certainly a, a tricky one in terms of balance, certainly trying to, implement calendars into my life a lot more than I have been you know one of the things one of the great things about being a professional athlete and also one of the drawbacks is your whole life is essentially mapped out for you in the sense that you get told where you have to be at what time what you have to wear and and that sort of creates this this being that is almost institutionalized I think so when you start to step out and become a uh, a regular adult, um, you know, you have to balance that for yourself, which can sometimes be a bit challenging. And it's an interesting perspective
0: when you say that cricket and playing professionally kind of maps out your life, and it's very structured for you. And I assume it creates really good psychological safety—that feeling that everything is taken care of. And then you mention now the struggle with everything from parenting to careers to studying to being present. And we also know, which I really admire for wellness, we know that. Worrying about the past or fretting about the future is a major source of stress. So related to wellness, we know that wellness is
2: really important for everyone, particularly now. So what does wellness mean to you? For me, I think, you know, wellness is around you know having the ability or putting your being in a mental and physical capacity to be able to just give your best and perform at the best possible level that you can in whatever you're doing. And, you know, without saying cliche, this is something at the moment which I'm extremely, extremely focused on. I think back to where, you know, I think my wellness in particular is made up of, you know, my professional life, which is cricket and study and both, I guess. You know, my physical fitness, my diet, my family and community and I think probably my most important and one of the hardest things for me to do with two young children is to monitor my sleep And I haven't always been this way. I think when I first started playing cricket professionally, I was just 24 seven cricket, cricket, cricket. And I think, you know, that was sort of one of the areas where it sort of helped me succeed to a level, but over my career, for anyone that has followed it, I've probably been someone who's had been able to perform at a really high level and then fallen away. So the consistency of performance for me hasn't been there as often as I would have liked. And I think My inability to monitor my wellness and to have other things in my life has certainly contributed to that. And as I'm getting sort of older and more mature and, you know, like I said, wife and children, it's given me a a lot better perspective, I guess, around what's important. And what I'm finding is it's actually helping me professionally as well and, and professionally to perform at a consistently high level. I think, you know, especially in the athlete world, you know, you have, you, there's, there's so many stories of people, you know, doing incredible things when not looking after their, their well being, I guess, you know, and, and whether it's their extracurricular activities or their diet or whatever it might be, you, you hear about these, these great performances when their well being isn't necessarily being taken care of. But I think what's really important to note is that, that nobody, I don't think, in the history of sport, Has been able to compete at a consistent high level without having a good sense of well being. You know, you you have these one or one or incredible performances along the way, but eventually it catches up with you. And I think as people, you know, as a broader sense, speaking broadly, you know, we want to be consistent. I think consistency is one of the most admirable traits that anybody can have. And if you're a consistent high level performer across any, across any, um, whether it's sport, business, whatever it is, I think that's somebody that, you know, is really admirable.
1: I think that's just so relatable because in the past few interviews we've done on the podcast related to wellness, we talked about burnout in a variety of ways, whether it's related to academics or career and how to identify the signs of of when you might be getting to that point. For an athlete, there's a lot of research showing that. In sports psychology, a huge part of the game, of course, if your head's in the right place, you can perform better, the psychology of it. But aside from that, the bodily health and fitness would be paramount. So do you have any tips for say the average folk like me, somebody who's who's not aiming to be a professional athlete, but then but then from your point of view, what would be important for me to maintain my physical health?
2: Yeah, I, I think obviously diet is you know, it is essential really, you know, what you're putting into your body, you know, is really, really important to, be, to remain balanced. Another one I think which is under sort of, it's not really spoken about enough is sleep. Have really good sleep hygiene at night, have regular, you know, ensure you're getting to bed, getting enough sleep. Unfortunately, especially in an environment like we are around the world, I think we're more attached to our devices than we ever have been possibly, you know, get them out, of your life at some stage before you're trying to go to sleep and I do it as well. You know, the phone charges right next to my bed, um, at times, especially when you're in hotels, that's where the PowerPoints are. So, but yeah, sort of separating yourself from, from that device, especially when it comes to sleep. So for me, my three key pillars are exercise, diet and sleep. And regardless of whether, regardless of where I, I am around the world, what time zone I am, I'm in, I really am trying to to focus on those three aspects of of my well being because I mean it, it sets you up for for the day.
1: Wonderful. I love how you put how you put the focus on sleep there too because I agree it gets totally neglected.
2: Yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, I think possibly more not necessarily in the athletic world, but possibly in the business world, you know, lack of sleep and 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 huge work hours is sometimes celebrated you know, as a culture and, and people who, who have had success, you know, working 90, 100 hours a week and, and never sleeping. And I, you know, I, I certainly do question that, that sort of culture of, of celebrating that, you know, a habit that is, you know, inherently unhealthy.
0: Ben, it's interesting that you've mentioned sleep, because research I've read a while ago, said that one of the major causes for the great Australian sickie is actually lack of sleep and fatigue. So people don't, can't go to work, not necessarily because they're so sleepy, they can't stay awake, but because they're just wrung out, tired. So sleep is important. But I'd like to return back to something that Kira mentioned with sports psychology. I really wish I knew more about sports psychology and how to motivate yourself. And the thing that is really important to me is this mental well-being. We talk about mindset, meaning how we think about things or the little person on our shoulders that that self-talk. So for a professional athlete to stay motivated, what would be the tips and tricks that you could give to a person like me to maintain a healthy mindset?
2: Oh, it's a very good question. And I think, I think you know, for me personally, you know, just have an understanding of why you're doing something, regardless of what that might be. Everybody's reason or everyone's motivation is, is completely up to themselves. You know, some people are, are motivated by trying to be the absolute best in the world. Others are really motivated by winning. Um, there's financial motivation. There's legacies that you want to leave. You know, so figuring out for me early on what it was that motivated me really helped. And they're certainly allowed to change over the course of anyone's career. And they should probably change. You know, one of the, one of the things that I really, really struggled with from a playing point of view is I'd always wanted to play for Australia. And that was my number one goal early on in my career, and probably early on in my life, to be honest. you know, ever since I can remember, I was always playing cricket and wanting to play for Australia. And in 2000 or oh, good question 14, maybe or maybe it was 13, you know, I, I played for Australia against South Africa. And we had a three-game series. It was my first series, played for Australia, woke up on the morning after the third game, and for the first time in my life, I had absolutely no motivation to go to training to, to do anything really, you know, like it was supposed to be one of these career highlights that I should look back on in, in, with, with such pride. But, you know, it, it was a real, I, I, I won't say dark moment, but it was all of a sudden uh, I didn't have a reason to get out of bed. And, you know, my career actually post that first series actually took a bit of a nosedive. And one of the reasons now in reflection, which I've had an ability to do or opportunity to do, is because I hadn't reset my goals or reset my motivation as to what I was going to do next. In my mind, you know, playing for Australia was probably unattainable in my mind for a lot of my career. And then all of a sudden I'd achieved that. And I hadn't thought about what I was going to do next or what my next goal was, or even how I wanted to perform in those games for Australia all I wanted to do was to play for Australia. And, and yeah, I think, you know, setting achievable goals along the way, or even, you know, goals that might be slightly unachievable, but certainly once you get close or once you hit those goals, don't be afraid to to reset and re-go again.
0: It's really heartening news because we all go through those periods of ups and downs and no matter what we do, we can't feel motivated. So I guess that's the importance of emotional resilience and keeping that as part of your mindset. So you, thank you for
1: sharing that. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that that challenge with us as well. And you mentioned the seasonal demands of your athletic career. And I can relate. Education is also a very seasonal industry. You know, things operate uh, as per seasonal calendars. But in my world, routine has a lot to do with maintaining health physically and mentally. And I think you've alluded to that. So with seasonal changes which many people relate to in one way or another, how do you maintain a routine that's centered on wellness?
2: Oh, it's another great question, I think. I think sometimes we we view routine as this rigid kind of structure around, you know, wake up at 6am, do gym for an hour, then eat, then do. And I don't think it necessarily has to be that rigid. I think and especially once you start having a few balls in the air in terms of whether it's study or work or children or kids pick up or, you know, whatever it might be, um, volunteer work, once you've got some balls in the air, you actually need to be a little bit fluid. But again, the routine needs to come back to those pillars that are, that are really important to you, whether that be exercise. So it's, you know, I exercise every single day, regardless of where I am. And that exercise can vary from, you know, a really intense workout where, you know, I'm sitting on the floor afterwards or, you know, a simple 20, 25 minute walk of my dog listening to, you know, some music and getting some fresh air in. So in terms of routine, I think it's identifying, you know, what are these things that make you feel good and feel happy and then making sure that you implement them and and force them into your routine, wherever you get the opportunity, because, you know, unfortunately, you know, there are other things that, that are pressing in your life, whether they're, you know, assignment deadlines, work deadlines, all the rest of it. Hey, this is something I need to get done. I can't put this off, no problems. Let's get it done, but then go for your walk. Or yeah, just making sure you make time for things that are important to you and and things that make you feel good.
1: I think it sounds like you also have a really good attitude about it too. And that's probably an important part is is a little bit of being sort of forgiving towards oneself for not, not doing exactly what's in the routine. You know what? I had others, but we've already started to get some great questions in the chat. And so I'm going to say, let's, let's open it up and make the discussion a wider forum. So thank you for your genuine answers, Ben. Now we can open up for a QA. and a And in the audience, you're welcome to turn off your mic. I'm going to jump into one that was just posted by Rob Regan, which is, when in another country for a T20 comp, how much is cricket versus how much is enjoying the difference in that culture? Further, given the sacrifices you need to make to be 100% present for your cricket, how do you make up the possibility of guilt, of leaving your family behind or homesickness? Yeah, this is an incredible question.
2: And, And that is certainly one of the big challenges at the moment. And even more, you know, offset by the fact that you're in a by secure bubble and most of these competitions around the world so one of the great things about playing 2020 cricket around the world is it's great cricket so I love cricket which is awesome you get to travel the world I love travel tick you get to experience different people different cultures unfortunately at the moment given what is happening around the world you know you don't get that so you refined and you and you're stuck to your hotel room a lot to the point where you know at times, it, it's, you, you can't even go to the hotel gym because that's blocked off and you can't do, you can only eat at certain times. So it becomes certainly very, very challenging and you need to be comfortable in your own, in your own company. And one of the, the great things that, that has helped me through it is studying along the way, very quickly getting onto the time zone that you're on. So one of the things I, I do to, to do that is I always sleep with the curtains open. So often the sun will rise and it'll wake me up and that gets me onto that time zone. One of the worst feelings, and I'm sure we've all been there, is you know you, if you're in a dark room and you look at the clock and it's 1pm it's and you've slept half, most, of the, uh, most of the day away. In terms of the feeling of guilt, I don't think I can ever really get over that. You know, I've missed that many Christmases. The Big Bash now is, is on over that summer period. I've missed both my children's birthdays this year. You know, my, I, I couldn't even tell you how many birthdays of my wife that I've missed. Probably surprising that still, she's still my wife. But, I mean, you, you spend so much time away. And it comes back to my, my original, my, one of the points I made earlier, is being really clear on the why that you're doing it. And, and that can sometimes help alleviate any sort of guilt and, and that you might be feeling along the way. But great question and certainly one that I'm sort of, I'm not an expert in, I don't have the answers, but I'm doing my best to sort of work through it as I'm in it.
1: Well, that makes me actually have another question because it sounds like you do have to have a lot of sacrifice to be able to be successful in what you do. A lot of our students and staff are actually far from home um, in terms of far from their extended families or friends who may be overseas. I know I am. How do you deal with homesickness? I guess for me
2: personally, it comes back to, um, I try and get in a routine with my family, depending on the time zone. So my children wake similar time and they go to bed similar time every day. So wherever I am in the world, I, I, I try and make sure that, you know, I'm checking in with them at least once a day around one of those two time zones. And the worst homesickness I've felt was when I was in the Caribbean last August or last September. I went to boarding school, which is a side note. So I've always been used to spending time away from my family. But in the Caribbean, the time zone, I think it's, you know, sixteen hours or something ridiculous. So marrying up the two the two routines of myself and the family was near impossible. And you know, I felt myself going stretches of days without actually checking in and having that that interaction with my family. And that that certainly impacted you know, well, my well being and my wellness, but also, yeah, that was certainly as, as homesick as I've ever been. So my advice would be to try and get into a routine with your family and or those, those around you that are, that are important, could be friends and and brothers and sisters or whoever it might be, get into a routine and, and then, you know, really hold yourself accountable and stick to it. You know, like if it is time to call the family or call your friends, drop what you're doing and, and make an effort to, to, you know, reach out and make that communication.
0: While we're waiting for questions, I have another question in the chat that I'll ask from Tom Baldwin. Thanks for that question, Tom. Tom asks, have you thought about the, which industry you'd like to go into after your career pivots from
2: cricket? So what's kind of next for Ben Dunk? Goodness me, that, that is a really good question. So part of me would really like to go into sports administration. You know, I'm drawn to sports. I, I've been in sport my whole life. I love sport. But you know, the, on the other side of the coin, I wonder whether I'm only drawn to that area because that's sort of what I know and that's what I'm comfortable with. And we like to spend a lot of time in areas that we're comfortable. So I'm hoping that over the course of this MBA as well, there will, there will subjects will come along that will open my eyes to, to different industries and, and different, I guess, jobs along the way that I, I could potentially do. But yeah, I, I haven't set a clear path along the way, and 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 that's one of the challenges coming from an athletic background is that you always view your career in a linear sort of progression, right? You you start off, you know, playing underage cricket, then you go to, you know, your grade cricket, second eleven first class cricket Australia, it's almost a perfect linear progression. And, and one of the challenges for me at the moment is, you know, viewing my next career, it's not going to be a perfect linear sort of progression. You know, you might be jumping around different aspects, but slowly
1: making your way to, to that end mark. Uh, anybody else who feels like jumping in for a question, you're welcome to un It's
0: Alex here. Uh, I was really, really fascinated by your story about playing for Australia and and having that as a goal. And, you know, I'm really into sports myself and you hear more and more from athletes that these days they're trying to less, less so focus on the outcome, which could be, you know, your gold medal or your win or whatever it might be, but focusing on the process. And it sounds like, you know, when you eventually got to playing for Australia, that's what happened, you know, you actually reached that outcome and then all of a sudden you realize that wasn't your end goal. And you've already mentioned um, how important it is to stay in the moment with things. How do you actually go about that? And and what tools could you provide us here today to help stay in the moment instead of focus on the outcome?
2: In terms of actual tools, you know, again, I'm, I'm a really big sort of goal setter. So you know, you start off with whatever that goal might be in whatever industry it is. So for me going forward at the moment, my next cricket looks like it possibly will be a T10 tournament in Abu Dhabi in November. So for me there, I'll sit down before a tournament and I'll focus in on, okay, what am I trying to achieve through this tournament? And it'll be a really strict sort of goal runs orientated. I want to score X amount of runs. I want my team to finish, you know, obviously win, and I want to contribute to X amount of actual victories. And then I just sort of work my way back from there, right? How am I going to do that? What does that entail? All the way back to what's my preparation like? So I'm in Hobart now. I'm going to be in Abu Dhabi how is that going to look? What am I doing? What skills am I focusing on? And that just helps me then sort of, I guess, channel everything that I'm doing towards that end goal, if that makes sense. And I guess I haven't really applied it to the business world, but I would assume that, you know, the, the same sort of process can, can, you know, really take hold or, or certainly my study. So I sat down the other day and it was kind of like, hey, what am, what am I trying to do here with this study? Am I just trying to pass or am I trying to excel or what, like, what, what am I actually trying to get out of this? you know, and, and made myself a goal. Hey, I, d- I don't want to just scrape through by, you know, 51%. You know, I'm going to try and absolutely nail this. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like spending an extra couple of hours a week on, on each subject and trying to do that. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of the lessons that I've learned in my cricket career can carry over into, you know, my next career. Well, what I'd like to ask
0: Ben now, it's a, it's a question actually that came from Rob Regan and I'm going to build on that a bit. We know that cricket is, has got its ups and downs and, you know, we want to know how you pull your way through that, through the downs. And and what I'm really curious about, I've been thinking as I'm listening, I find cricket to be fun. You know, on Christmas day, I play cricket with the kids and it's entertainment for me, but it's work for you. I never thought about it that way. So what do you do for fun to pull yourself out of the
2: work routine? First of all, there are some serious challenges and and to to allude to your first question there around you know some of the some of the darker times i guess that you that i would talk about you know i've been sacked dropped or or told that i'm i'm not good enough so many times along my journey and one of the things that i'm really proud of and hang my hat is on is my you know perseverance and resilience just to to get up and go again or or maybe it's a sign of my you know inability to to read between the lines and get the message <laughs> to read the message that other people are, are, are telling me. But, you know, it is, it is certainly an industry where you cop a lot of blows and, and you cop a lot of blows around things that are really important to you. You know, when you dropped or, or, you know, fired from a team, this is, this is someone telling you, you know, that what you're putting out isn't good enough or we don't like what you do. And that that's really, really hard to hear. And when it comes around something that you love and that you've always loved that, that makes it even. Even harder to hear, I guess. So, the way that I've got through a lot of that, and, and it's probably one of the reasons why, towards the end of my career, you know, when my career finished up in first class cricket, and I was told, hey, like, you know, you're 30 now, it's time for you to, to move on. I was actually really ready for that because I'd achieved what I really wanted to achieve. I'd played for Australia, test cricket was probably out of reach, and I was happy for it to be out of reach, and I was ready to move on. Whereas I got told that news eight years before by Queensland, which is an interesting story. You know, we were traveling overseas and this is probably a a good insight into how brutal professional sports can be. We left Australia, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, to go traveling overseas to see her family. She's Irish. And then we're going on to the US for a wedding. And I was told that, yep, no problems. You've got a contract. When you come back, start training, all the rest of it. So we go off on this holiday. You know, it's late June. We go through Ireland, see her family, head on to the USA. When I land in New York, I've got a voicemail on my phone from the selectors saying, hey, we're really sorry, but you've been squeezed off the, the contract list. And, you know, I'm walking through JFK Airport thinking, goodness me, I'm now unemployed. You know, what's what? – and I'm about to go on you know, – I've still got two weeks of this holiday to go. I'm heading back to essentially nothing. And, and that's, you know, a small insight, I guess, to some of the challenges that, you know, professional athletes, um, you know, are facing day in, day out.
0: That's a sad story. It's like, it's like being fired without due process. That, that, would, that would really hurt me, i got to say.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, don't get me wrong. It certainly hurt me. I've got another story, which, you know, when, you, when you're in the Australian team, the next series, I guess, that comes along, if you don't get a phone call, you're to assume that you're in that team, if that makes sense. So you only get a phone call with bad news. So I played that first series against South Africa and I think it was four or five months or whatever it might be in between 2020 series. And the next series is coming up and I'm thinking, oh, I'm not sure whether I'll get retained here. Like, you know, my, the series was just so. Anyway, as the day, the announcement gets closer and closer and closer, I've, I haven't got this phone call. So I'm thinking, oh, how good I'm, I'm about to get my second chance to, you know, rectify some of the wrongs that I made in that first series and, you know, really you know, show that I, you know, I can be at this level. So I was playing for Tasmania at the time, went to training, the day of the announcement, still no phone call. I'm thinking, how good is this? This is amazing. I'm, you know, I'm going to get another chance and uh, go do my training you know, go into our change rooms afterwards, sitting after training, and I'm scrolling through social media needlessly like I, I probably have done a lot of my life. And I find I come across the the team announcement and I think, oh, great. Who am I going to England with? Only to find that my name's not on the list and I'd been, I'd been dropped. So uh, that was a pretty brutal way to find out that, you know, my dream of playing for Australia was over. But, you know, this is one of those things, one of these hurdles that you have to overcome. I've got a question. Ben, Rob Regan. Just Australia's got an incredible tradition in terms of cricketing ability. I've always thought as a newbie walking into that Australian team of superstars, that must be a really intimidating process and how does that work? Firstly, sort of understanding that you're good enough, first of all, when you're sitting next to Steve Smith or whoever it is. And then secondly, through your cricket journey, at what point did post-cricket become at least as important to you as your cricket career? Uh, two amazing questions. And and your first question, I think, probably really nails or, or hits close to home in a sense. Is one of the reasons why I probably didn't have the international career that I, I possibly or potentially could have is when I was sitting next to Steve Smith or Shane Watson or whoever it might have been at the time, <clears throat> is that I didn't really believe that I was good enough to be sitting next to them. And I think self-belief, you know, is something that is so important, you know, when it comes to forming at a high level, again, whatever industry that you're in, you know, you, you need to have the belief that you can contribute and you need to have the belief that, Hey, you know, I'm part of this and, and not only am I part of this, but you know, I, I, I can really contribute here and make a difference. So how that works is, you know, they do you their best you know the individuals and I certainly don't blame Steve or or Shane for for that at all you know they do their best to make you feel welcome but ultimately you don't feel welcome or you don't feel like you belong until you've performed right it's yeah. one of those sort of what comes first chicken or the egg do I feel like I belong and therefore I perform or do I perform and then I feel like I belong so it's kind of one of those ones um it's one of the reasons why you know they try and get young guys in early you know so that when they go back to first class level and when they come back a second time they they're ready or, you know, in the case of someone like a Steve Smith, when they're, they're young and they're in there, sometimes the youthful exuberance just comes out. They're not, you know, there's, there's no scars, there's no fear. They just go out and play and they have their success and, you know, they're on their way. The second question is a really good one. I, I think probably for me, you know, when I had my first, well, sorry, when we had our first child and it became apparent that I was no longer just looking after myself you know I think I was very selfish um, and sometimes still am when it comes to my professional career you know you contribute or you you work so hard to get there um, you sort of want to hold it and hold it and hold it and you know going back to my point around tunnel vision I was just trying to get everything I could and play as many games as I could and, and do as well as I could and and when you know I realized that another human being was now you know, really reliant on me, I thought, goodness me, I need to uh, I need to start preparing here for the future. And, you know, this is also, you know, when I started to play some of my best cricket as well. You know, once I had other things going on in my life, all of a sudden cricket on a day-to-day basis become the game that I love, like I played when I was a kid. It wasn't my job because, you know, I had other things to do.
3: G'day, Ben. My question is, I know you, you play wicketkeeper, so this position means that there's a lot of pressure on you. What physical and mental skills do you, do you need to play that role?
2: First of all, physically, I think it's probably one of the more demanding positions on the field. You know, you're, you're sort of in the game for every ball, really. Um, and then you, you couple that with the fact that I'm a, you know, a batsman as well. That there's not really a, a ball in the game if I'm doing my role really well that, you know, I'm not a part of it. So physically, absolutely need to be quite fit, strong and in my legs, obviously, do a lot of leg weights and that sort of thing. Mentally, I try and do a lot of visualization. I find that really helps in terms of preparation. So to prepare, you know i'll I'll watch some, I'll watch footage or I'll watch previous games of my opposition, but then I'll take it sort of one step further and you know put all the lights out in my room and and try and visualize that I'm actually in the moment with that person because I find, by doing that, I can actually feel some of the emotions. Like I can almost put myself in a state where I'm nervous, visualising, facing. And so that when it comes game time and I get into that position, you know, there's a, a bit of familiarity around it. So those nerves aren't as consuming, if that makes sense, that in, a, in a weird kind of way. You're sort of preparing yourself for the worst so that when you feel it in the, in the game, um, it's not as, you know, performance, you know, it's not deducting so much from my performance.
3: Yeah, I think that kind of makes sense. You're kind of setting the expectation and, yeah, mentally preparing for that. Thank you,
2: Yeah, we're trying to. Yeah,
1: thanks. Great question, though.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Ben.
1: Abby asked earlier, BBL team for this season?
2: Oh, that's a good question. You know, I've spent 10 years, I think, playing in the Big Bash. And over that time, I think I've had two, maybe two, maybe three Christmases um, with my family. And now I've got two young kids, you know, one who definitely knows what Sander is and, and has pretty high expectations of Sander at the moment, which is a little bit worrying. Just sort of weighing up whether to continue playing in the Big Bash or whether to, you know, explore some of the tournaments that are around Christmas, but not ride in in know, amongst Christmas um, overseas. And, and that certainly depends on where we're at as a country in terms of um, allowing overseas travel. You know, I've been fortunate enough to go overseas a couple of times whilst the borders are closed, but the quarantine that's required on the way back certainly takes a bit of a toll in itself. So yeah, I'm just waiting and seeing how we progress as a country, I guess, over the next couple of months before I make any sort of decisions on that.
1: Ben, what what
2: is the process for finding a T20 team around the globe? How much comes to you and how much do you have to position yourself? I think it's a good question. The process for a start is, you know, a a tournament will pop up in, let's say, the Caribbean, for example. They're about to start in, I think, about two weeks. So back in May, they will take expressions of interest from, from players. And I have an agent who will put my name forward along with realistically thousands of other cricketers from around the world who are, who are trying to get one of these contracts. And then, you know, you sort of sit there almost like an auction. You, you, you just wait and hope that the performances that you've done previously, or your you know, a lot of the time your association with coaches and, and players um, and captains of these teams start to start to come to effect because you know with so many players so many good players around the world it's not always just about performance about what else can you provide or what else can you offer us whilst you're in our environment and then yeah it's either a yes or a no and you know they have these draft nights or they have these auctions where you know it's six o'clock the auction will start and you know you can tune in if you'd like you know I've got a, a, a funny story I guess you know my first experience in, in an IPL au- auction was in 2013 and I was a leading run scorer of the Big Bash at that time. I think it was 2013. Anyway, back then anyway. um, And the previous leading run scorer, previous high performers of the Big Bash, you know, had done very well at these IPL auctions. And I'm talking, you know, 800,000, 900,000, million dollar contracts. And the auction's coming up, you know, it's in a couple of days time. And I'm getting calls from different coaches in these IPL franchises. And I'm thinking, this is great. You know, this is going to be amazing. And it comes around and I was playing a Sheffield Shield game over in Perth when the IPL auction was on. And I'm fielding on the boundary, but my mind is absolutely racing like it is. And I know that I'm coming up at, you know, 345 or whatever it is. My name's coming up. My, my mind is racing because I'm thinking, you know, I could come off this field and you know, my whole life could be changed. <laughs> and as much as I said before, you know, it's about staying in the present. I was not in the present. I was walking off the field, you know, I was a millionaire. Anyway, so I'm sitting out in the boundary, and there's you know 15 people that ever come to watch a Sheffield Shield game, and one of them pipes up and says, "Hey, you've just you've just gone in the IPL auction. Do you want to know what what you went for?" And so like you know, it's running through my mind like, "No, tomorrow." So I turn around and sort of say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I, I want to." And he says, "Zero, you've been passed in," and I went, "Oh my goodness!" My whole afternoon was absolutely <laughs> absolutely shattered, and it was a really good at a moment i was thinking why why have you got so caught up in this why you're here playing a game what are you doing you know but it's a it was i guess a good example you know that as much as you can put these things in place that you know you try your best at at, at times yeah you do you do wonder
1: okay we've, we've got a hand up from michelle and then some really good questions from nisa and tom that i think we'll have time for so uh over to you michelle
3: Thank you. Um, Ben, thank you once again for making yourself available to everyone. It's been really interesting listening to you. My question for you is, you know, it would have been, I can't even begin to imagine the feeling you had when you were in the US and and got that message to say, you know, you're not part of the team any longer. And by the sounds of it, there's been a few um, setbacks that you've had what have you tapped into to, to mentally get over that and, and some strategies to get your head back back into focus, you know, back into the path that, that you wanted to do or, or perhaps, you know, setting a different goal and how do you start all over again?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing question. I, I you know, it's, a, it's really unfortunate that I had this great holiday and wedding and, a, and a, you know, a great friend of mine's wedding, but all I can remember from that trip is that, is that voicemail really. In terms of actual strategies, I think early on in my career, I really had nothing else. You know, like I'd finished school, I did, you know, I think a year of a business degree and, and didn't love it. At that stage, it wasn't, you know, flexible learning or online learning, you know, it wasn't really a thing. So I was missing trainings to go to a lectures and all sorts of things like that. And it wasn't my thing. I had this goal that I wanted to play for Australia. And, um, you know, I was, I was going to try and move, you know, heaven and earth and, and everything in between just to try and. Play for Australia, so you know I made a commitment to myself, I guess, and thought, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see this through and and, and give it everything I could get or, or everything I could. So you know, waking up, I guess, I, I look back and waking up during that holiday was 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 terrible because I, I had all of these thoughts around, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm doing it wrong and maybe I'm doing the wrong thing by you know committing most of my adult life to playing a game. But in terms of actual strategies, I don't know, really. I, I, I've inherently just been a hard worker. I've always worked really, really hard. And I'm an optimist, right? Like I think, you know, good things happen to good people and I'll work my way out of most situations, you know, like if I'm not good enough, maybe they're right. I'm not good enough. I'll just work harder and I'll become good enough and, you know, I'll sh- I'll show them kind of attitude, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I don't really know really the, the answer. I, yeah, I've just had a dream of always doing it and, yeah. I've just tried to do it, which I know is an ordinary uh, answer to what your question is there. So leave it with me. I'm going to have a think over the next couple of minutes. I'll come up with something better than that because that's terrible really.
3: No, I, I, and I think sometimes it is just the simple things is, you know, it's just getting back on on the horse and, and just, you know, keep that focus and that vision and, and don't give up. And And it's sometimes through these, you know, really difficult times and the knockbacks that that's where you reinvent yourself and you do find a different strength. So they're not yeah. always the negative. So yeah, that's,
2: thanks for caring. no, no, that is spot on. And I think, I think what you're, what you're saying there is is really, really important because I mean, I had, I had more, de- you know, I, I sort of sounded there, like I didn't have any of these self doubts in a sense that I was, you know, on this mission had so many self doubts along the way. You know, I remember sitting down with my parents and my parents saying, look, this is, this is silly. You know, you, you've got to, You've got to do something else. This isn't going to be a career and you're not going to achieve what you want to achieve. And I, I think back now and as a parent, I think, my goodness, what terrible advice from parents to give a kid like, you know, what are you doing? And I've often spoken to about my parents about it and they're like, well, you know, we're just trying to do the best for you at the time. And, um, but I was stubborn and I had this goal and I had this dream that I thought, no, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And, um, yeah, you know, like I said, kept working and working and working.
1: Thank you. Okay, we've got, um, we've got time for, I think, these two more. We've got, uh, Sanisa has got a great question about, about teamwork. And so what are your tips for working well in a team and making sure you're excelling?
2: Yeah, this is something where I sort of pride myself on, actually. It's part of my, you know, my personal values is being a really, really good team member. And my, my tips for this is spend the time. So spend the time to get to know your teammates. Because, you know, by getting to know them, you'll know then what makes them tick, what motivates them, what, you know, gets them out of bed in the morning, what family they have, you know, just get to know them and, and you know, they, they'll help you get to know yourself as well. So get to know your teammates, try and be a positive influence in every aspect. So, you know, often you'll have things to say but have a have a think about whether you're saying that for the benefit of the team or you're saying it just to get it off your chest if that makes sense so like in terms of our review meetings they can get they can get quite heated and one of the lessons that I've learned through there is like I might be emotional and I might be really upset that we lost that game but what I'm about to say is that going to be beneficial to the team or am I just saying that to make myself feel good you know and that's really helped me along the way as well you know um realizing what you're trying to achieve as a group and then just, you know, try and slot yourself in there and, and, and do what's required for, for that team. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's a really good, good point and it's a really, I think, sought after. I'm hoping it's a sought after trait post-cricket is, you know, the ability to work in a team, get to know your teammates, help them along the way. And I think most importantly, make sure you, sh- you, you share your success. Oh, so share their success. So when someone does really well, don't be afraid to get around them because, you know, when it is your day, the one thing that you really want after you've performed really well is people to be around you and sharing that success. And if you're not giving that to anybody else, how can you expect that in in return? So, um, yeah, make sure you share other people's success, share the team's success, and
1: I'm sure you'll get the best out of your team. Speaking of, I mean, teamwork and diversity, Tom Baldwin asks, You've played cricket at the T20 level across the subcontinent and the Caribbean, teammates from all over the place, different nationalities and backgrounds. So how to build rapport in a diverse environment, do you think? Yeah, I think one of
2: the challenging things we have in 2020 cricket is you have short periods of time that you're with um, your teammates. So, you know, I'll head to the Caribbean. I'm only there for four, five weeks. You know, you have to spend and invest your time getting to know your teammates. That, that, those sort of relationships... Or any relationship, you know, it's really hard to fast track. One of the things, well, one of my tips to help fast tracking it is show yourself, or, or don't be afraid to show weakness in front of your teammate. Because I've found by showing some of your insecurities actually builds trust within my teammates. So, you know, for example, going into you know I'd go into a, a team, and instead of although you're there as the overseas one of four overseas players and everybody is used to the overseas sort of preaching to the group, I try and show myself as a, you know, I'm here to learn. We've got so many great local players here. I want to learn from the local players and show a couple of the, my insecurities as a player and as a person. And, and I think by, by not being or certainly not presenting as someone who's perfect, people tend to trust and, and you can build those relationships a lot quicker and tap into to some of the um, strengths and weaknesses of, of some of your teammates.
0: Well, everyone, I have got the unfortunate, I feel like an umpire making a bad call here, but the session is now need to end because of time. So, Ben, we do appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who's contributed in the chat or asked the questions. And the, the takeaway from the session that I got that I never really anticipated, Ben, was the need to persevere as much as what you say when most of us never experience the pressure on performance that you have. You have pressure from day to day, and it can be quite brutal, the feedback that you get, where the pressure that we have, you know, maybe week to week, month to month. So I think that's, in my mind, that's what might make a great professional athlete, great cricketer, is your ability to get over that, literally hour by hour, incident by incident. So that's what I've learned, and that's emotional resilience and perseverance in a nutshell.
2: So thank you, Ben. Thank you for all your amazing questions, and thank you for
1: listening to my story. Thanks so much, Ben, for participating. If you're feeling unwell or in need of help, reach out. Anyone in Australia can get immediate mental health support by calling the National Lifeline on 13 11 14. And Beyond Blue has great 24-7 support staff at 1300 22 46 36
0: Kaplan employees can contact HR or access free counselling. KBS students have access to free confidential campus counselors, safety and support services such as Sonder. Reach out to your campus student experience team for friendly guidance on accessing these services.